Hello and welcome to RPG Quest, the podcast where we do not play D&D. And uh, for this series, we are once again venturing into uh, the ancient horrors from beyond space and time as we play Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> My name is Chris. I'll be your host and GM, or I guess keeper in this case, but... um. As always, the real stars of the show are our players, and uh, playing with me through uh, this little adventure is Panda. Yeah, I'm Brendan or Panda, and I'll be playing Detective Jack Cassidy. Yeah, so we'll um, yeah we'll get into that in a sec. We'll just do a quick uh, little introduction. Um, I do have a bit of a confession to make. Like with this podcast, we're trying out new. I'm I'm trying out new games. I, I do have to confess that I I have played. Call of Cthulhu and run Call of Cthulhu a fair bit before, so it probably is at the moment. I would I would say my favorite system, but what? Yeah, what's your experience level with uh, Call of Cthulhu? Oh, uh, I think I've played a one shot one time, maybe more than a year ago. Um, yeah, like I've okay. played a lot of games that are similar. I think Vasen is the most recent thing I've played that's somewhat similar, but I'm I'm a noob for Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, perfect, perfect. So you're still green, which is good. Which is good. Um, so for this little uh, adventure, we are doing it as a one-on-one, set in the the classic setting, I guess, of uh, most Call of Cthulhu scenarios, which is 1920s America, with Brendan taking on the role of a private eye, right? Yeah, your, uh, your general, down on his luck, drinks too much, private eye. So... This scenario was called Tell Me Have You Seen the Yellow Sign, which I think you can find through... So it's, a, it's an old adventure that's been repurposed for all the sort of new editions. I think you can find it um, in a collection of stories all set in New Orleans called Tales of the Crescent City. So, yeah, our story begins one evening in New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, the year is 1926, and, and it's about midnight on a Saturday evening, early in the month of February. Uh, it's raining, and up alone in an office somewhere uptown. Uh, I say an office, it's more like a tiny apartment that's been converted into an office. Um, but we see a figure on a brown leather couch, trying to get some sleep as the rain pelts across the window. Uh, who do we see exactly on this couch? Uh, yeah, we uh, we see Jack, who is a late 30s, um, probably about average height uh, guy. He has brown hair uh, that's untrimmed for quite some time. He probably hasn't shaved in a few days. Uh, he's he's awake as he can't fall asleep, so we can see he has bloodshot eyes. He's, he's likely still a little bit drunk or starting to come off being drunk. Uh, he rolls himself a cigarette and sits up, still wearing likely one of only two suits he owns, which is a fairly nice cut suit, um, just wearing the vest and the pants. Uh, but it's seen much better days. It's stained and rumpled. Um, he has not taken the time to, to keep himself up, and that very much reflects in how he looks. As he sits up and lights his rolled cigarette, looks around for a, a bottle of whiskey. Yeah, and... Um... As you sort of get up from the couch and, and begin rifling through uh, this apartment, um, you're going over in your head a conversation you had earlier that day with your your friend and I guess now partner, the one who who owns this apartment. 
Ed Roy. Ed Roy is a private detective. I, I said he's your partner, but it's it's kind of more like currently he's your boss. He owns the business here, which is the, the detective agency, and rents the office that you're currently living in while you're trying to get yourself together. Um, but since the two of you are old war buddies and, you know, you've been down on your luck, he's basically been treating you like a partner, although you haven't actually worked a case yet here together since he took you on as his second PI. But being the wonderful guy that he is, he did put your name in white paint on the, on the frosted glass of the front door. So it now reads Roy and Cassidy, licensed investigators. The, uh, the end Cassidy part and the S is, um, has been painted on as sort of an afterthought, not quite as nice as craftsman, quite as nice craftsmanship as the, the Roy part, but still, you know, the thought is there. Earlier that day, Ed Roy left you with the keys to his, uh, his black Chrysler and uh, a number where you'd be able to reach him. And, uh, you know, so he was sort of saying, um, yeah, I'm sorry to have to leave you like this, Jackie boy. Unforeseen circumstances and all that, what with uh, Pa passing away. But uh, I don't think I'll be much more in two weeks, you know, playing the funeral, uh, dealing with the estate and whatnot. But uh, like I said, you, you need anything, uh, I'm just a phone call away. I'll keep it in mind, Ed. Uh, sorry about your pa. Don't worry, if anything comes across the desk, I'll handle it. Yeah, yeah, maybe keep yourself busy and hey, uh, you know, chin up. Uh, even uh, if, if nothing comes through, at least uh, why don't you uh, get out and try and enjoy some of the uh, some of the Mardi Gras while you're here. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll most certainly do that. And uh, yeah, we see you in this uh, office now at night, uh, opening up uh, one of Ed's drawers and pulling out a a bottle of a fine McClellan whiskey and uh, pouring yourself a little little glass of scotch. Give me the first roll. Give me a con roll. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Hard success. This is a man who knows how to handle his. <laughs> so, you know, you drink until you fall asleep. Um, thankfully, you're not too hungover the next morning. Um, although the shrill sound of the phone ringing that wakes you up is still painful. Nonetheless, as it pierces your skull. Ah, uh, yeah. Jack rolls out of bed, or off the couch, rather. Uh, grabs the phone. Roy and Cassidy, private detectives, uh, how can I help you? Uh, hello there. Is that, uh, is that Ed Roy? Uh, no. M Mr. Roy is out for the, uh, foreseeable future. A couple days. Uh, this is, this is Mr. Cassidy. Mr. Mr. Cassidy, uh, well, okay. Well, uh... Well, Mr. Cassidy, my name is Charlie Sundstrom. I'm the uh, I'm the city editor of the Gazette, the the Daily Gazette. No, I'm not one much for the papers, but uh, understood. What what can I do for you? Right. Well, well listen. Uh, seeing as uh, Mr. Roy's indisposed, uh, I don't suppose you'd be able to take on a case right now. Um, <clears throat> why don't you come down to the Gazette uh, sometime this afternoon and we could talk about it? Yeah. Um. Oh, I mean, I've got a lot going on, he says as he kind of looks around with nothing to do. Well, um, I, mean, I have the money to, to pay you. It's quite an important job. Uh, you see, one of my reporters, he was, well, he was murdered. Oh, well, that is, uh, I mean, I'm sorry to hear about him, but that is uh, certainly something worth investigating. 
Tell you what, uh, just give me an address, I'll jot it down here, and a time, and I'll be there. Sure thing, it's uh, it's just off the corner of Union, and, and you know, he, he begins to uh, give you the address. Does uh, Jack Cassidy waste any time uh, making his way down to the uh, the Daily Gazette? It's sort of close to the French Quarter in uh, New Orleans. Uh, I think, you know, there's a... He doesn't exactly rush, uh, but he goes around, grabs his things, kind of gets everything together, probably debates on whether he's going to take his service weapon or not, but, you know, decides to. Uh, tries to make his suit a little more presentable, likely just standing in a steaming room next to the shower, hoping that would help, uh, and then heads over. <laughs> yeah, this might be a good point, actually. We didn't we didn't um, completely go through in character creation your equipment, with games like this, I kind of just like to say anything that you would kind of reasonably have, you know, that's not too crazy. You can you can jot down on the character sheet there, whether that's you know things in the lines of along the lines of, of having a camera, although you'd you'd want to be keeping that uh, in the car, and of course your uh, your thirty eight revolver and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the scope of the things he'd actually carry on him would be like a notebook, fountain pen, uh, his service weapon, and probably a flask. But beyond that, a little bit of cash, petty cash, but, you know, he's pretty broke, so not much. Yeah. At that. <laughs> it should actually say in your character sheet, um, based off your credit score, how much cash um, you have on you at the moment. Oh, yeah. It's really, really low, too. <laughs> it's probably like 10 bucks or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is just switching to possessions. Yeah, it's, it's 20 bucks. 20 bucks. There you go. Not too bad. Uh, but yeah, after getting his things together for a little while, he, he would, once he's outside, he would make his way over quickly. So, you know, it's, it's probably about 2 p.m. as we cut now to the inside of the offices of the New Orleans Daily Gazette. Um, there's a young woman at the front desk. Um, you know, there to greet you. I guess give me an appearance roll as you wander in. <laughs> First fail. Ooh, what did you roll? Uh, 59 versus 40. So she, uh, yeah, this, this young woman behind the desk kind of gives you a, kind of looks down her nose as she looks you up and down. She says, uh, yes, can I help you? Uh, yes, ma'am. I'm Detective uh, Jack Cassidy. I have an appointment. Oh, uh, one moment. And she picks up the phone. Hello, Mr. Sundstrom? Yes, that's right. And Mr... She leans into you. K- Cassidy. Cassidy. Of course. Of course. Of course. And she hangs up and stands up from her desk. And says, Come with me, please. And, uh, yeah, she begins to lead you through the offices of the Daily Gazette. It's Sunday afternoon, so, so people are rushing like crazy. You know, there's yelling, phones are ringing. There's a rush to get uh, Monday morning's edition to the presses. But she leads you through the chaos into a cosy office kind of at the back centre of the building. Um, you know, the doors open a crack, and inside you can you can see a, a desk and make out the figure of a kind of a thick-set man, kind of tinkering with a typewriter. Um, and he doesn't look up to his desk to address you. He just sort of... Um, Speech shouts out from from behind his work, saying, "Thank you, Suzanne. That'll be all." And then, uh, as she leaves and shuts you in, uh, he leans up a moment from the broken typewriter, ink all over his hands, and uh, you know, and tie. He says, uh, "Goes to shake your hand, but then sort of thinks twice about it." So, uh, uh, Charlie, 
Yeah, Jack like takes off his hat and coat, tosses it over his arm, uh, and also went to shake and pulls his hand back as as the uh, the other guy does, but smiles at him. Uh, Jack Cassidy, we 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 spoke briefly on the phone. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I, I don't suppose you know how to uh, fix these things, do you? He points to the typewriter. Uh, well, um, I mean, I've had one or two run-ins with them, uh, but. I can give it a try. I'm no, uh, I'm no engineer or mechanic or anything, but I'm fairly handy. Sure. Give me a, um, I'd say mechanic. Give me a mechanical repair roll, please, as you try and figure out what's going on with this thing. <laughs> Failure of eleven versus ten. Oh, <laughs> right on the mark. I mean, it's pr- it's it's pretty un- inconsequential, but you could um, you could spend a point of luck to make that a success if you wanted to. I will bear that in mind in the future, but I think this one's a little more amusing if I make his typewriter worse. Yeah, you just end up with ink now kind of all over your hands. He's just sort of, as you kind of begin fiddling with it, he's like, oh, 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 okay. And just sort of, you know, gestures for you to get away. I'll get to that later. Um, he reaches, he sort of wipes his hands on a little cloth on the desk and pulls out a cigarette. And he points to a large manila envelope on the desk. He says, oh, grab that there, would you? Yeah, um... Pulls out his handkerchief, does the same, wipe his hands off. Uh, pick up the uh, the envelope, open it up. Is this the is this the case? It's it's thick. It's packed full of notebooks. About three notebooks in there. He says, uh, "That's uh, the notebooks of one of my reporters, uh, Peter Gavin, is his name. Now, I think he was murdered after stumbling onto some kind of conspiracy. Murdered, you say? Um, well, what kind of conspiracy did he stumble upon? Well." He was working on a story, a, a series about the uh, about the organizers of one of the organizers of this year's Mardi Gras celebrations, uh, all from the upper echelons of uh, New Orleans society. About a week ago, he got excited, telling me he was onto something, something. It was a lot, a lot on details, except to say he reckoned that the this one crew uh, was involved in the occult. <laughs> uh, they called uh, the most honorable crew of swords. Most honorable crew of swords. The occult, like, uh, like Satanism, witchcraft. Well, I mean, I guess that kind of thing, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's all in the notebooks, but I mean, be, be, be careful. The, the fellas mentioned in those notes, the ones that run uh, the crew of swords, uh, they're mostly rich and influential, respected businessmen and pillars of society. I mean, they're not the kind that would usually go around killing newspaper reporters. Oh, well, you'd be surprised. Never can tell. Uh, there's also that, uh, you see, there's that drawing in there. Well, it's, uh, I made a little copy of it. Yeah, he flips to the drawing and pulls it out, looks it over. Yeah, there's a loose piece of paper. I've just sent it to you there in black and white. It's um, sort of like three what look kind of like little tentacles spiraling out from a a circle in the middle. Um, uh, yeah, he... I mean, he had that on him when he was found. Uh, the cops attached no significance to the drawing in Peter's hand, but uh, I reckoned the guy who stuffed it into it, I'm sure he knows plenty. He takes up his glasses and begins kind of rubbing his, his eyes. <sighs> Any idea who that might be? Like, I, I wouldn't guess that you would know who killed your boy, but... No. I mean, you did mention this crew. You got any names? Oh, yeah, yeah. All, all, all in the notebooks there. There's, uh, there's three of them. Yeah, and as he sort of flipped through the, 
flip through the notes. Let me share this. It mentions uh, three people. Chet Creighton, Dennis Bouchard, and Randall Fowler. That's right. That's right. Uh, we got addresses, names, uh, everything in there. So Chet Creighton, uh, he's this uh, he's, he's more of an oil roughneck. He kind of struck a big seven years ago. Became a millionaire overnight. Uh, Dennis Bouchard, he's uh, well, he's the chairman. And then uh, Randall Fowler, he owns a couple of shipping companies and railroads. Uh, I have no idea about the significance of uh, of that picture. In his book there, he mentions two fellas who were, uh, uh, I guess, big cheeses when it comes to the occult and that kind of thing. One of them is uh, this, uh, oh, God, what's his name? Uh, Etienne Marigny. He's supposed to be, uh, you know, an expert in that kind of thing. I wrote him a letter. Um, he uh, reckons that signs some kind of occult thing, but said he didn't have the time to look into it. He's uh, heading out of town, work on some other job or something. The other fella, uh, Francois Avedon, he owns this antique shop not far from here in the French Quarter. Uh, I have no idea whether Gavin uh, got in touch with, with, with him or not. Um... I guess I should say, uh, you know, um, I'll give you all the help I can. Newspaper clippings. You can mention my name when talking to the police and, and whatnot. But, uh, well, if you find yourself on the wrong side of these people, as I said, they're kind of influential. And uh, or the other side of the law. I mean, you, you get no further help from me. Do you understand? I understand. Uh... I guess on that note, I should say um, something that kind of muddies the water a little bit. <sighs> the police say so they don't actually think it was a murder at all. Uh, according to them, Peter Gavin uh, apparently jumped to his death from the roof of a building on the, the university campus, the Tulane University campus, killed himself. Takes another drag of his cigarette. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, uh, not to be blunt, but... I mean, are you sure he didn't commit suicide? Is he just not the type, or...? It's... Well... I don't... I don't believe it. He's not the type, no. He's, he's not the type at all. And the, the interview, you know, uh, your conversation's kind of interrupted as a young reporter kind of knocks on the desk and opens up the door. He's like, hey, um, uh, Mr. Sundstrom, can I ask you a question about the... Du and he just puts up his finger. He's like, busy... So, sorry. No, and sort of just gestures him off. Um, he seems like genuinely pretty stressed about this, uh, about Gavin's death. He does genuinely believes that no. he was uh, he was killed. Well, I will say at least there's a lot of notes here. Uh, he was thorough, which I mean, makes sense for a reporter. Um, plenty of leads to follow up, and I'm I'm happy to do so. I'll burn you whatever answers I can find. But, there is a matter of compensation, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, how does this usually work? Is it daily, lump sum? Well, um, I mean, I could use a expense account, a little bit of upfront cash, help, uh, crease some palms if needed. But, I, I would expect you to reserve payment until I deliver what you're looking for, sir. How about uh, how about something like this? I'll give you, 
what is it, $6 a day? I'll give you a few days up front. And uh, uh, I guess upon completion, uh, another $100. Yeah, he, he tries not to show how excited he is about the idea of, you know, six bucks a day and $100. Uh, just kind of nods, fighting back that excitement. Uh, yeah, that uh, that sounds about standard. That'll certainly do. I do believe we have ourselves a deal. Great. Uh, I'll get uh, Sue at the front desk to uh, write you a check. Of course. Um, and listen, if it's any ease to your mind, I will do my best to make sure we uh, find the culprits here. Can't promise justice. That's not exactly my realm. But I'll find you answers. Answers is all I'm after. The truth. Jack goes to shake. And he, uh, yeah, he shakes your hand. You see the black inky spots still stained on his fingers and palms. <laughs> he says, uh, good luck, Mr. Cassidy. And, you know, Sue at the front desk uh, sorts you out with um, a little bit of cash. You can uh, put down $24 on your uh, on your sheet. All right. And I'm um, leaving you with a bit of time, I guess, to um, go through the... Uh, go through his notebooks and have a look at that sign. Obviously, it mentions the three names of these uh, who run the most honorable crew of swords and a bit of detail about what he was investigating exactly. And then, of course, this um, it gives the names and home addresses of this uh, Etienne Laurent de Marigny, who's a cult expert who, um, although was uh, Sundstrom seemed to say was going out of town, and, of course, Francois Avedon, the other one who Gavin believed was some sort of local expert on the on the occult. Um, yeah, so there's the address for Avedon's antique shop in the French Quarter, the Avedon Antiquarian Gallery. Um, yeah, the notes state that Gavin had this intent to consult these men regarding the, the strange symbol, um, but it's unclear whether he met with Avedon. About the three members, there's a bit of info about Chet Creighton. Well, the notes themselves say uh, Chet Creighton in uh, Peter Gavin's handwriting. Oil roughneck who struck it big seven years ago. Became a millionaire overnight. Tough guy. Hard to get along with. Holy smokes temper. Criminal record, no surprise. Sticks out like a sore thumb with this high society, folks. Beware of Barbara. His latest venture is a new rig in the swamps outside Huma, dubbed the Black Tower Field. What is it? Why so far from N.O.? New Orleans. Uh, Dennis Bouchard is the uh, chairman. He writes, this should be interesting, holds old money, all in sound investments, in New Orleans since 1700, has a home in the fashionable garden district, happy-go-lucky playboy type, compulsive gambler, collector of fine antiques, has a police record, couple of charges of reckless driving and public drunkenness, but quashed by his lawyers, never seriously prosecuted in any event. And then the last one is probably the most interesting. He writes, Randall Fowler, quiet, still in mourning for his wife and daughter. He owns a couple of shipping companies and railroads. Family used to be named Lafleur, changed after the Civil War. Apparently Lafleur's ancestors had a reputation as slave traders, possibly including white indentures. Wife and daughter killed one year and a half ago in hit and run, unsolved. And there's some obituary clippings in there. And then he goes on to write, uh, Fowler has been getting in touch with some guy. Papa Screech? Voodoo man? Sounds spooky. RF's spirit guide in touch with his wife and kids. Is this a scam? Question mark. 
bilking him out of hundreds or even thousands of dollars with spiritualist mumbo-jumbo. He also mentions uh, about a warehouse as well. Um, You know, yellow designs, workers seem shifty. Warehouse, what a dump. More decorations. Are these swamp folk? Why do these things glow? And it says, D. uh, Marigny is the man I need to see. Haven't caught up with him yet. If anyone knows, it'll be him. If not DM Avedon, question mark? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Jack reads through everything. Um, You know, while he does so, he flips out his own small notebook and starts making a kind of quicker, concise notes. Um, Looks through it all. Uh, There's a a lot of leads here. Um, But kind of circles Avedon's antique shop. Um, mumbles to himself, good a place to start as any. Yeah. The antique shop is uh, only a couple of blocks from there in the, um, in the French Quarter. And uh, as you pull up this afternoon, this Sunday afternoon, it's, um, it's large, it's airy, it's gleaming with you know, polished wood. As you can see through the window, there's sort of, you can see a few items, um, furniture, weapons, sculptures, jewelry, paintings, um, all kinds of stuff. It seems to be targeted more towards the high end as far as uh, the quality goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, again, Jack tries to brush himself off, look a little less, you know, frumpy and rumpled. Um, probably, like, tucks his... Uh, his um, I'm blanking on that word. Tucks his handkerchief into his coat pocket to try to make himself a little bit more presentable um, and would step inside and start browsing. Yeah, give me um, give me either an appearance or a credit rating roll as you as you walk in. <laughs> Another failure, fifty-one versus forty. <laughs> yeah, immediately this large, dark-haired man um, makes his way towards you as soon as you open the door, um, and kind of looks you up and down. Um, he says, "Ah, oh, uh, good morning. May I help you?" Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I was, uh, interested in kind of looking around your shop here. It looks like you have quite a few interesting things, but uh, no need to waste time. Um, you Mr. Avedon? Uh, no, no. Uh, my name is Rodrigo. Uh, Rodrigo Vargas. I am uh, Mr. Avedon's partner. Uh, uh, Mr. Vargas, uh, offers a hand to shake. I am Detective Jack Cassidy. So I'm going to speak with your partner a bit, but perhaps you can help me. Uh, yes, I'll do what I can. Uh, Mr. Abaddon is uh, not in today. Mm. Well, perhaps you can answer a few questions for me if uh, you're feeling so inclined that I can return tomorrow and speak with Mr. Abaddon. Uh, yes, uh, of course. Uh, any questions you have, I'll do my best to help. All right. Um, well, you say you're his business partner, so I feel you and Mr. Abaddon are probably quite well acquainted. Uh, I won't mince my words. I'm here investigating a case of a poor man who uh, met his untimely demise. Perhaps you might know something about this. Uh, this symbol here was found on, again, the uh, the departed gentleman. Um, to my understanding, you and your partner know a bit about these kind of things. And we'll show him the, the symbol. Ah, uh, Avedon um, is more of the expert on this kind of thing than myself. Um, um more in the business of uh, valuing antiques. But uh, he was, uh, who's this man? This gentleman came in a few days ago. 
was asking about this symbol and uh, looking for a book. Um, uh, what was the this, uh, French play? Uh, the King in Yellow. Um, we did not have it in the shop, so uh, Avedon was going to his uh, check his personal library for a copy. But, uh, well, he's been, uh, he hasn't come back. He's been sick uh, since. Fair enough. Is this a, is this a fairly rare play? Something difficult to find? Yes, uh, Avedon seemed to think so, but, um, he was under the impression that he might have a copy in his personal library. Uh, well, I would be interested in following up on, uh, that young man's inquiry, as I do believe we're talking about the deceased. Mr. Avedon, be uh, partial to a house call? Give me a... I'm going to say a persuasion, unless there's uh, another skill you think might be more appropriate. Okay, I think persuasion makes sense. Um, yeah, and he's he's real good at it. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, that's a 76 versus 10, another failure. He uh, says, uh, I, am, I might be able to give him a call, but um, I am not in the business of, no offense, handing out the home address of my employer. Oh, I, I understand, I understand. Um, that would be problematic if you just handed the address out to anyone who walked on the streets. Uh, but as I said, I am a detective. I would appreciate if you made that call. Just uh, do what you can. Yes, so uh, one moment. And he um, you know, goes sort of back behind the desk and grabs a phone and, and begins to dial, like, leaving you, you know, alone to kind of flick through the, you know, have a look through the shop. It's full of... Lots of things of sort of like Native and Central American origin. Um, some of the, the price tags and some of the things are from the hundreds upwards to like a thousands. Very expensive stuff. Yeah, <laughs> Jack wouldn't touch anything. Um, but he would start looking around to see if anything caught his eye that might have a similar symbol or just have like an occultish look about it as um, that's something that's been mentioned a couple times and he has no experience with the occult. Yeah, give me a power roll. Ah, there we go. 49 versus 50. Success on that one. As you're sort of looking around, one of the things you find that seems to be interesting, it's like a little half-scale brass bust of a, well, a strange kind of head. Hard to say exactly uh, what it is, but this brass head kind of um, has a a human-like face, but with tentacles in place of a mouth and nose. Uh, what's the price tag on it? I assume extraordinarily high. Uh, roll me uh, 1d20. That's a 9. Uh, so it is uh, $90. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, feeling fairly drawn towards this and probably just being a little bit creeped out by it. Um, I think Jack starts mumbling to himself, like, who the hell would make this? And just starts sketching it. Uh, in his notebook, as he sees that $90, one, he can't afford it, and two, he probably wouldn't. Uh, but he is no thief. Um, Rodrigo Vargas puts down the phone and says, uh, walks over to you, says, I am afraid I cannot reach him, but uh, I can try again later and leave a message if there's um, something you would like me to say. He must be quite sick, actually. Maybe I'm a little worried. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. I, I do hope he recovers quickly. Um, well, I'll, I'll just give you the number to my office, and you can you can ring if anything does come up. Um, 
if he comes by or if you speak to him, just uh, let him know what I talk with you about. Um, and I, I most certainly would like to uh, procure that book. But how about this? If you don't hear from him by tomorrow, uh, and you are quite concerned for his well-being, I'm more than happy to offer my services. As I said, I am a detective. I will keep that in mind, Mr. Uh, Cassidy, was it? Yes, sir, Mr. Cassidy. I will keep that in mind. Well, um, I would say thank you for your time, but I do want to ask you, um, what is this about? And he points at the, the small bust. Seems like it must have a story. He um, sort of raises an eyebrow and says, um, Ah... I believe it has some uh, significance with cultists who used to be in this area some time ago. Maybe 20 years, I think. I'm not uh, particularly familiar with the story. But, uh, well, it was quite horrific, I'm told. Well, I, uh, I might have to look into that myself. I'm, I'm fairly new to town. I wouldn't know too much about these things. But, uh, well, involved with a cult... Yeah. How did it uh, come to be within uh, your shop here? Any idea? Oh, Mr. Avedon is a collector of these things. I, I imagine it found its way into the police, and we find all sorts of things. Um, yeah, I believe it was uh, something to do with swamp communities in the south of the city. Yeah. Perhaps some kind of voodoo. Yeah, I mean, he just, like, raises an eyebrow at the mention of voodoo. You know, cults, he's like, okay, that, that I hear about voodoo, really, man? Uh, but nonetheless, you know, makes a couple notes. Well, I thank you for being so uh, forthcoming, and I appreciate your time, sir. And like I said, uh, if you hear from your associate or you require my services, please give me a call. Uh, and, and writes down his number, rips it out of his notebook, and hands it over. Of course. Yeah, he takes the, takes the paper from you and sort of folds it up neatly and sort of gives you a, you know, a, a phony kind of customer service smile. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have yourself a fine evening. Uh, you too. Yeah, Jack will head out of the shop and uh, when he gets in his car, kind of sit for a minute and go over his notes, uh, probably finds himself finishing off that, that little sketch, a little creeped out by it, um, writes in the margins around it like, cult. 20 years ago, Swamp Community, Voodoo, with a big question mark. Uh, and looks back through his notes from before, trying to decide where to go next. Yeah. So you have the names and home addresses of these three members of the, um, of the crew of swords. You have the, um, also some notes on the warehouse and the address of the warehouse, where you assume they're doing the, making the, you know, the decorations for, the, for their upcoming sort of Mardi Gras float. You also have, um, you know, that the university, Tulane University, is um, where Gavin supposedly, where the body was found, where he supposedly killed himself. Yeah, I think uh, Jack spends a minute kind of looking things over. Um, again, kind of mumbles to himself. Uh, I want to follow up with these names, but be a waste of time if I got nothing to go on. Um, maybe the university be a good place to start. Um, and it's been a few days, right? Uh, yes. So it's Sunday. Um, his body was found on Saturday morning. Okay. All right. Um, and it was, uh, he seemed to come in the shop on the Friday. Uh, yeah. I mean, Jack would uh, head over to the university hoping to pick up 
some kind of clues or, or anything that might be left behind, even though it's been about a day? Yeah, of course. Um, it's Sunday, so the university campus is um, pretty quiet. There aren't too many people around as you as you walk in. Give me, I guess, a spot hidden as you're um, sort of as you approach this university, trying to find sort of the general area where there may be a crime scene or where there was a crime scene. All right, here's hoping. This is actually one of his skills. Uh-huh. <laughs> Still fail. Fifty-seven versus fifty. Uh, yeah. Uh, would you like to spend some luck, or would you? Or are you just going to go in and, and speak to someone? I would on that one. No, I think on that one. Let's uh, let's spend a bit of luck. Let's see. Um, can you remind me exactly how that works? Do I reduce it by seven? Uh, yeah, you want to spend seven points of luck to bring that down to a success, to fifty. Um, so you just want to edit your sheet and reduce your luck score total by seven. All right. So we are down from 40 to 33. Cool. Um, yeah, um, as you sort of walk in and sort of have a look around and you're kind of looking looking at the buildings and stuff, one thing that catches your eye is uh, you see a groundskeeper kind of working on freshly spaded garden, this little sort of garden plot, kind of in the, in the middle of a close, not too close to some buildings, but he's sort of, you know, freshly laying this... this uh, grass out and you can actually see um, near that area it's been removed now but just a little bit of um, yellow tape uh, that was once taped around this whole area uh, Yeah, Jack would uh, absolutely you know seeing that in the uh, you know the, the freshly replaced lawn um, gotta make his way over to the, uh, the groundskeeper he, he's not gonna like march up like you know he, he's not gonna cop knock him basically uh, it'll saunter over uh, you seem to be hard at work there, sir. Uh, what uh, what happened to your fine lawn? You didn't hear. It's uh, it's kind of gruesome. Oh, was there uh, was there a death? Is that uh, I mean, is this where that, that poor lad went down? Kind of looks around. That's right. Yeah, jump from all the way up there. They say and managed to launch himself all the way down into this here garden bed. Jumped. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yes, sir. I mean, how did he? Uh, how did he get his way up there? Is it common that you got students and people walking around on the rooftops? Uh, no, sir. But uh, I mean, if some man is determined enough to take his own life and wants to figure out a way to get up there. I'm sure he can find a way. So he stops. Stops. Uh, you know, he's sort of reseating for a moment and lights up a cigarette. Yeah, uh, I mean, Jack will light a cigarette as well, and kind of looks at him, looks at the area, takes a minute to look around, make sure nobody's paying too much attention, uh, pull the flask out of his uh, his pocket and offer it to the guy. Like, take a quick swig and offer it to the guy. Oh. Um, ah, you seem like you could use a bit of a pick-me-up. This does seem like hard work. He kind of looks around. He's like, you ain't a cop? Oh, Lord, no, not anymore. And he sort of grabs the, the flask off you. Um... Give me an intelligence roll. Uh, no problem. <laughs> 90 versus 70. I got the dice ghost, bro. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, no, that's fine. He's just sort of, um, you know, has a swig and, and sort of passes it back to you. It's just, um, uh, 
I'm afraid I wasn't around to see the body at the time, but the physics professor, Mr. Turnier, he saw the body, told everything he knew to the police. He might be of more help than I can be. Well, that is uh, interesting to know. Poor, poor man, if he saw that happen, I, uh, I feel for him, but uh, where would his offices be? I might, I might go around and just see how he's doing. The uh, physics department is just down there. You might be lucky enough to catch him before he leaves. Yeah, I will do that. Thanks again for the drink, mister. Ah, no worries. Um, nice looking lawn you got here. Good work you're doing. Uh, before I rush over there, this uh, this roof up here, uh, there uh, access in this building? Easy way to get up there? I might, I might want to look around myself. Don't worry, I, I won't be falling. Give me a uh, persuade or a fast talk. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, my luck continues. Uh, that's a 67. Fail. He um, he kind of shrugs and he says, uh, I'm afraid once uh, faculty is locked up, I'm not really allowed to let anyone in and out of there. But uh, if you come back during school hours, you might be able to take a better look around. Yeah, I, I appreciate your help. Um, yeah, thank you, sir. I fully understand. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to do anything that might get you in any trouble. Uh, you have yourself a fine evening. And again, your your lawn is looking wonderful. You're doing good work here. Thank you, sir. And uh, yeah, you see the um, the the physics department as you kind of head over. It's open. Uh, most of the lights are off. Um, there's a few lecture halls, but um, you see one of the the office lights kind of down the hall. Um, it's clearly on, and the office door open. Yeah, um, again, you know, Jack will try to kind of straighten himself up and try to make a better impression this time. Um, but walk up and knock on the door. Uh, even if it's open, he'll take the moment to knock. Yeah, you see this, um, this, this older, late 50s uh, gentleman behind a desk with a bunch of papers. He's um, with, a, with a pen sort of going through and doing some marking. And he kind of looks up. <clears throat> oh, uh, yes, can I help you? Uh, yeah, hello. Um. Professor, I am Mr. or uh, apologies, I am Detective Jackson Cassidy. Uh, and I was I was hoping to bend your ear a little bit. Oh, uh, this is about the the death. I uh, did already speak with the police. I told told them everything I knew. Yeah, I, you know, we're just being thorough. I'm not affiliated with the local police. It's more of a private matter. Uh, interested interested parties. Um, and again, you know, if you could just go back through kind of what you told the police, that would be. Immensely helpful to me. Anything you might have uh, thought of since then, even? Well, I was pretty clear in telling them in no uncertain terms that, in my opinion, he did not jump from that building. Not a chance. I saw where the body landed. The deepest impression in the sod was nearly six inches. And look, I spent two years helping design and test parachutes for the Great War. An impact of nearly six inches is impossible from a fall of only four stories. And the trajectory itself, no, no, it, it didn't come from that building. It's, that's nearly a 30-foot jump. So unless Mr. Gavin was a broad jumper, then, I don't know, he must have fallen out of an airplane. <laughs> um, I understand. I understand what you're saying. Um, could it be that he was thrown? By what exactly? Well, I mean, that's, uh, it's kind of the question I'm interested in finding out myself. I'm just, I'm just asking you, you know, one soldier to another. We can be honest with each other. You, uh, you see any, any strange folk around that day? 
No, I, I did not. I, I saw the body in the morning just lying there. But listen, regardless of how strange a folk may be, no man possesses the strength to throw another man that far and that high. Interesting. So you're you're saying, you know, with that distance and arc and with that, uh, was it six inches? Taking an immense amount of force, much more so than he would have fallen with. That's precisely what I'm saying, yes. And you shared this with the police? What'd they say? Well, I don't know. It seems to me like the police only had one possible outcome in their mind and didn't really want to hear anything else. Oh, of course, of course, I understand. Uh, well, that is certainly quite strange. Any, anything else you noticed that was uh, a little odd about the, the whole thing? I mean, other than a man falling from the sky. Hmm. And he had a note in his hand. Nothing else springs to mind. Yeah, was it uh, was it this note? He pulls out, you know, the notebooks that, you know, he, he knows it is the note, uh, but he kind of wants to show it to him and, and see what his reaction is. That's that's exactly correct, yes. How, how did... Uh, strange symbol. Um, not not anything I've ever seen before. And I know your, your realm is physics, but uh, this look like anything to you other than some scribbles? Well, I wish I could say I'd seen it before, but no, I'm sorry. All right. Um, well, I'll tell you, I uh, was going to have a look at that uh, that roof, see if there's anything I could find up there, but after what you've told me, I'm not sure he ever was on the roof. Still, it's a difficult thing to explain. Certainly most curious, yes. Uh, well, granted, I'm no scientist. Uh, you, sir, as a professor of physics... Would there be any kind of explanation that you could come to, even a little far-fetched, that might be able to put some sense to this? Well, I mean, if you want an answer, uh, I guess it's certainly not outside the realms of possibilities that he fell from an airplane mid-flight. Uh, perhaps he got caught up in the wrong crowd and was, was tossed down. All right, well, I mean, just that in itself, it's, uh, seems a little more likely based off what you were saying than... He decided to jump from a, a roof in the middle of an investigation. You have been more than helpful, sir, and I appreciate your time. Um, anything else you uh, you might think is worth worth noting? Well, nothing that immediately springs to mind. I'm afraid. All right, I tell you what. Uh, and again, he like jots down the number to his office. Well, he doesn't even have a secretary to take. You could have calls, but Judd's <laughs> down the number for his office uh, and hands it to him. Um, and just says, if you if you do think of anything, anything at all that you know might uh, might help with this case, we we do really want to find out what happened to this poor man. Uh, feel free to call me. Will do, Mister uh, Cassidy. Was it? Yes, sir, Mister Jacks Cassidy. I won't take any more of your time. Looks like you got a lot of papers grade there. Uh, thank you, sir. Tips his cap. Okay. Well, uh, best of luck with the investigation. 